0: like the sun. You always look at it but without it you cannot look at anything else. the way we find ourselves is by staring into the sun. Hello, hello. Hello everybody. I'm here with my beautiful brother. <laughs> who's going to tell you who he is? I'm great at these intros. First of all, hello. We're so glad that you're here. Uh, welcome to another episode of Staring Into the Sun. I'm Rob Gibson. I'm a psychologist hailing from Denver, Colorado, and I'm joined by my beautiful brother. John Gibson. Robbie and I just had to talk before. I, I want to introduce myself.
1: But I'm John Gibson. I'm a pastor, uh, and the other half of this mind-heart duo, and we're gonna <laughs> plumb the depths of the intersections yes. of the mind and heart, and the explosion that yeah I was using. Therein.
0: I was unconsciously using some uh, behavioral uh, re- feedback for you to, to let you know that I should do the introducing all the time because I do it so terribly. <laughs> that's, that's simple speak for he manipulated me. Yes. <laughs> I didn't do it on We purpose, can talk about so. that on another episode of okay. Staring into the Sun. <laughs> yeah, well, well, welcome. We're so glad you're here. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Uh, we're here to talk again today. Uh, and as a reminder, if you like what you hear, definitely subscribe. Download those things. Download the suckers. Let us know you're listening um we'd we'd also like to hear from you uh staring into the sun podcast at gmail.com or communicating with us on socials liking sharing giving us input we'd love to hear from you um and uh thanks for joining us today so john what, what are we talking about today
1: villains villains i was uh we, our conversation i don't i know it's there's no song i just kind of spontaneously sang that um but what so I was a big gamer growing up, and, and my brother, Rob, too. We, we both played games. And um, I was a big fan of the games where you could decide your own destiny, right? And you could either be really nice, and you'd start to develop a nice, bright glow around you as the heroic always
0: the good. character
1: yes. kind of always the good. <laughs> radiated from your body. Or you could do the opposite and be the villain. And for whatever reason, so as a pastor, don't judge me, but I am just fascinated with the villainy. Uh, I love playing the villain in the games. I love treating people like dirt in video games let's be clear in video games <laughs> i also love villains um from marvel universe i'm a big uh, marvel geek and dc geek and i i for whatever reason i don't know i just love i also love a good anti-hero story um uh, a great book series I, I love is the magician king this just, just a great anti just people full of mess and brokenness and they kind of do the heroic things but i love uh, villains you know uh, doomsday and i like um we we just went and watched uh, venom who's kind of like an anti-hero you know and all kinds of you know great thanos you know when i grow my beard out a little bit you can't really see me unless you're watching this on youtube someday when we put these on youtube i when i grow my beard out i can kind of get a thanos s kind of face shape but <laughs> villains and i'm I'm curious i don't know why maybe you can help me mentally understand why i'm drawn to villainy why i like villains and what is what is the deal with you know that's really not the topic
0: of our discussion maybe maybe you've got you know as of yet unconscious desires to to dominate and to to you know you fantasize about the the badness (laughs) in you that Find its way projected it into these villains. It's, you know, being a pastor, there's not a lot of space for you to, you know, to, right. to enact your baser desires. <laughs> I have, to, I, yeah, I tend to have to be good all the time. You know, sometimes it
1: comes out. Every once in a while, I'll get a sermon on
0: Sunday where I can
1: really lay in, you know, like.
0: <laughs> You know, that reminds me of, of the, uh, uh, you know, I, I was always the good character and I lived in a fantasy in my own mind too, as well. I, you know, and I remember the, uh, you know, the first time I became aware, uh, that, that my brother, uh dappled with the dark side you know <laughs> dabbled with it was you know we we have this old nintendo game <laughs> it's called rad racer oh yes and, i remember uh, rad racer i think that was it and and i i remember john getting really frustrated and i walked in and he goes shit <laughs> and says the rest and i look with horror like what <laughs> What happened? (laughs) And and the first thing John said is, "Don't tell mom and dad." (laughs) (laughs) He did, in fact,
1: tell mom, and I remember mom telling you, Robbie, that someday I would slip and say it in front of her. That you know, you you couldn't get me in trouble. So I have, I have, I have thus since. Uh, left my villainous ways but i do on occasion play a video game and play a darker character for for whatever
0: well well and and i think well i don't know what i'm getting at there but i yeah i think i i grew up in a you know in, in a little bubble that you know that that uh i think you were probably more on the right track of of trying to get in in touch with uh in touch with villainy um and uh, maybe maybe that's part of the reason why i had some issues with explosive anger is because i wasn't very <laughs> just i wasn't very in, uh, yeah i wasn't in touch with my <laughs> with my darkness at all and oh. so i think you were probably on the right track you yeah. <laughs> generally
1: a healthier person no, I'm, I'm totally kidding yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> So we're going to talk about villains today, but not in the way that you might expect. Um, I, we have been having a little bit of conversation, and you know, this kind of I think fits in the realm of um, pop culture and what's going on just in our world today. But but we have uh, it's interesting to me, especially in in the faith world, um, how anytime something is different than me or different than I think. Uh, this happens a lot of time in faith perspective, in particular in in our modern world with um, how polarizing belief can um, be, and um, what it can do to people. Um, but if if anything, and if I encounter anything that is other than kind of my box of status quo or, or my normalized understanding of how the world works and how God works, if anything encroaches upon, that carefully crafted kind of building in my life, then I perceive it as a threat, you know, and uh, that it's threatening my comfort, it's threatening my worldview, it's threatening uh, my safety. And when I feel threatened, and I think oh, I can probably speak for the generality of humans, um, that when we feel threatened, we either flee or we fight, you know, it's kind of that fight or flight kind of response. And it can it evoke, a violent response or it can evoke like I'm out. I'm out of this situation completely. And so I wanted to talk just in general about why, why we encounter that um, reaction to anything other than what I view as normal or accepted, whether it's in my belief or in my worldview, or and and this really can span a very broad kind of conversation. There's all kinds of things going on in politics right now, um, the whole deal with COVID and not to vaccine or to or to vaccinate, and um, all the way down to religious, um, Muslim or Christian. Uh, you know, I mean, it's a it's a huge, vast topic. But but it's interesting to me how anybody other than uh, the people who look like me, think like me, and believe like me, can so quickly and easily become villainized as a threat to me as a person and to what I believe. So mm-hmm. that's kind of just the big like splashdown of yeah. In
0: general, what we want to talk about today. Um, what do you think about that, let Rob? Me, yeah, just, let me jump just at in. first. The the I mean the initial thought I have is I I think that the I don't I I don't know if I would thought about this. Uh, enough to know for how long I think it's been this way, but certainly the the red versus blue um, uh, contemporary politicians have definitely taken advantage of this fact um, that 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 we will respond to. Um, we, we are activated and motivated, and 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 that can generate action. And, and for politicians, the action is um, whether it's at the ballot box or on Twitter or whatever it is. But I think. Uh, politicians, both directions, have made use of this process um, to to hold on to power together um, and and to prevent uh, actually digging into real issues and and to avoid their responsibilities. So, I mean, I think you can look at either either party and both parties over the last, at, I mean, at least maybe sixteen years, I think for sure, but maybe longer, where they take advantage of this process um, and. And, and we pit ourselves against each other, um, which means that then they can remain uh, unaccountable um, uh, in the long run. So, um, so that was my first, I think that that's definitely something very obviously present. And then my other reaction was, I think um, w- when you were talking about, it, I think one of the reasons that, w- that this operates is because um, I think it's because of actual villainy that exists, right? So if we, you know, if we're aware, not just in our conscious mind, but in our in our biology, we're aware that um, nature can do this, but nature does it kind of randomly um, or nature will do it when we don't respect it. Um, uh, but humans <clears throat> have a like the distinct and unique potential of being malicious and malevolent. And so when it's possible that someone around me could actually really hurt me if I don't accurately read the situation, um, that, that's, uh, that's a reality that we respond to. And I think one of the ways that we insulate ourselves from that potential reality is we, we create a safe group. Um, we create a community where we trust each other and, and that means things like, um, you know, visual cues, but that also means things like belief cues and things like that, I think, where we – where there's some value to, uh, you know, finding ourselves in tribes or communities um, so that we can protect ourselves together. Now, as you're talking, the, the problem is, is that uh, we – well, the problem is when we're wrong. Right. Like when when I'm determined that my neighbor is my enemy and I'm actually wrong um, and then uh, I behave in ways that, uh, well, uh, make them feel like I'm an enemy to them. And then they behave in ways that look adversarial to me. um, And then we have this mutual escalation um, that, you know, can become quite disastrous. So I I, I think it starts from a place of us trying to find security um, because of the potential reality of of violence and malevolence
1: yeah so I hear you saying there's 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 a normal and probably a, an effective built-in kind of system within ourselves to protect ourselves uh, against anything that's perceived as a threat mm-hmm. and um, I, and the more that we gather together with like-minded people who we feel safe with the more we mm-hmm. can kind of escalate the potential of of anyone looking differently than that um, kind of being ganged up on or f- maybe even feeling I think maybe the larger The larger the group we're a part of, probably the more confident or brass we are um, to stand up to something that opposes the held beliefs of the community. Too, you know, I I wonder if that's kind of Mm -hmm. true. I, I you know, in the Christian world, I just cringe so often because I I see these overarching situations that happen in the world that that you know I don't stand for as a Christ follower. Yet I get roped into because of uh, the universal community of Christianity or evangelicalism in in the world, and uh, it's a it's oftentimes a, a barrier that I kind of have to get over with people before I can even
0: begin to talk to them about what it means to authentically just follow Jesus in the world. Um, oh, like, are you saying like, you know, say somebody meets you and they find out you're an evan- evangelical pastor, that there's automatically narratives about you based yeah, on absolutely broader group. Whether
1: I've been a part of them or not, you know, I've just, I've been lumped into this greater community that, you know, a lot of times I think speaks outwardly with confidence because of the, the, um, oh, what's the word? Because of the, the kind of, a security they feel with the larger group that they think stands in their corner, you know, um, and becomes a voice that speaks for people that doesn't, maybe not everybody wants them to speak for, you know.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'll definitely get that, you know, if people have had negative experiences with therapists or therapy in general or yeah, whatever thing. it might be, it, it you know, that there, there's a, I mean, we, we do this to, to minimize the amount of time we have to spend assessing what do I make of you? Um, and and that's that's useful, but it also uh, I think there's some error in multiple directions. One of the errors is that it's gameable by somebody else. So I think this process is really subject to demagogues who will come in and take advantage of how this operates, and and say you know in order for us to be safe, you, you know they, they can ratchet up the intensity of of you know you need to see outside ideas or outside people. As dangerous to ourselves as a group and um, I think demagogues can take advantage of that and 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 whip up frenzy and and uh, use it to their own advantage but I think one of the other downsides of it is is uh, uh, we when this operates yes we're safer but we also in the long run might not be safer because of the mutual escalation and we also might be missing out on on new ideas that could make us better, um, that could make us uh, grow or adapt to something new that we couldn't anticipate. And so, this insulating also keeps us from better ideas, I think, too.
1: Yeah, and and. I think to add to that and even new perspectives that maybe the world or system which I'm living in isn't, you know, the best situation for me, you know, or isn't in in my arena of faith, isn't even the picture of what God intends for me in wholeness. You know, I have, what comes to mind is when Jesus came to the world, there was this real issue with whether, whether Jesus was the Messiah just for the Jewish people, for Israel, or if he was the Messiah for all people. And later on after Jesus, uh, I believe died and rose again, ascended into heaven. And then the church, the spirit of God was given into the world and, there was this new message in the world, and chiefly uh, a proponent of that message was the apostle Paul, who was who was interacting with this whole huge group of people, and a big separating barrier between the Jews and the Gentiles, or anyone else who was not a Jew, was circumcision. And we have all in the scriptures all kinds of conflict. Versus, if you're in, you're circumcised. If you're not in, you're uncircumcised, and you don't belong. You're not a part, and you actually have a, a lesser you know, kind of engagement with God or with, you know, what it means to be in relationship with God. And and the people of Israel just consistently and constantly missed out on this vision of what God's kingdom was really about because they were stuck in what they perceived the vision of God's uh, kingdom was all about. And so really, in effect, they were, ke- they were kept from a more complete and, like you were saying, maybe um, different... Uh, entrances or different things that could be given into their life that they missed out on because they were closed off. You know, they, they kind of, I was thinking uh, when you were talking that it's the difference between a closed system and an open system, you know, that when I get closed off, yeah, I feel safe and secure and things work the way I've always thought they should work, but I'm not open to anything new to make it better, you know, right. and to invest in me and give me maybe new ideas or new, and people, we in the faith, this is like on, you know, to the 10th degree of escalation, because when, when mm. people solidify what they believe about God and the afterlife and the world, once they solidify that thing, oftentimes younger on in their life, they solidify their belief for what they would hold as true. Man, it, it becomes like concrete, just kind of stuck in a, I believe, stuck in a person's soul where they can't hear or think of anything outside of that. Kind of established foundation; otherwise, they feel threatened and feel a mess, you know, and or, or feel like nothing that they believed was true because just one little piece may have may be outside of their realm of what was normalized for them. And I, I think that's not healthy, not a good thing.
0: Well, yeah, when you were talking, I was thinking of—I mean, isn't that what happened to Jesus? I mean, it was—it was, it was the—you know—you you are a direct threat to uh what we understand um and and not not just jesus but i think multiple other you know i i think uh the the ways that he approaches he approaches culture and people uh in his ministry it was um you know approaching whether it was the tax collector or you know the samaritan woman or or um the adulteress or whatever it is you know he's like directly stepping outside of these like tribal categories and the, the fear is, well, if you let that person in, or if you, if you let this in, it will destroy everything. And I mean, I think we have to give some credit to that, right? Like there are certain things, um, uh, you know, th- that, that might probably, uh, that, that probably is true, right? Like yeah. if, if, if I allow, you know, like say for example, you know, in a relationship, if I allow um, you know uh, criticism or contempt to come into my relationship, um, I can be pretty sure that it's going to ruin it. Um, and so, there are things we need to defend against. But I, I think the me- you know one of the messages of Jesus's life is that well, you're you're not always seeing clearly about what you're what you're defending against and what you're keeping out. One of the most meaningful, uh, as I think of this, a meaningful part of my own personal spiritual journey is uh, one of the messages I got up, uh, I got growing up, and I don't remember exactly where it's from, um, but I remember when I was talked to about the um, the Mormon Church, Church of Jesus Christ of Latter Day Saints. I I remember being told messages of you know that you know that's a cult, and you know they have ideas that are antithetical to um, you know uh, Protestant Christianity, Um, and I remember. Exper- hearing that and and feeling like it's not just the ideas that I need to stay away from them, it's the people, right? And and then as you know, as I journeyed and had my own spiritual um, uh, transformations and difficult times, uh, one one part of my own personal growth was I I interned at Brigham Young University in their counseling center, and then also currently, uh, some of my best friends are Mormons, um, and i have been challenged to grow spiritually as a result of my relationships with them and i think uh, what i've what i've come to discover is i can have a different belief than them about afterlife or about what happened before we were born things like that and that those can be uh, those can be elements that we can find accommodation and still be connected with each other. And I can learn and grow from them and they can learn and grow from me. Whereas if I would have held to my kind of tribal past perspective, I would have, uh, I would have uh, been much different in my approach to those relationships um, and they wouldn't have been able to flourish because of it. I think
1: this is we're maybe getting on something that I I feel like is really important because in life and I agree with you there there are times when when we need to have a closed system right there are times when when outside influences um, can pose a, a very real threat to us, or to our mental mm-hmm. well being, or our spiritual well being. But there, mm-hmm. there's also times um, when that's not healthy, and when we do, when we need to hear outside ideas, and we need to engage with um, people who are outside of our, our norms and our experience of mm-hmm. culture and life. And that's all really good. I think where we struggle as humans is how to how to discern when those like to, to discern the difference between the two. And how do I? So how do I know, uh, as a person, when when I should keep some influences out of my life? You know, how, uh, how do I know when I've gone too far and I'm just protecting my own comfort and security, and um, I'm not open to new challenges and and new experiences with other people and and appreciating uh, folks who believe differently or live differently than me for for the diversity of who they are and how it might impact and, and nurture and grow me as opposed to mm-hmm. only being perceived as a threat. And so telling the difference between those two is a real struggle and a challenge, I think might be something good for us to talk about. How do we tell the difference? How do we decide when to let someone in well, or thought
0: in or not? Yes. Well, in it current culture, it, it's it's a major concern because uh, like uh, as I observe escalating tension around um, viewing people with different perspectives as threats to my existence and um, you know, or, or ideas as threats to my well Um, you have this idea, therefore you, uh, you wish me harm. You know, it's, it's, it's dangerous, um, in both directions. It, it, it's dangerous when I'm right and I don't uh, acknowledge it. Right. Like, uh, I mean, I'm, we can use a very practical, you know, a very, uh, extreme example, right? Like, so, you know, if I have somebody in the community that, you know, that believes that, um, you know, abusing children is, is rational, right? Like, I need to have a intense response to that. Um, it, it's uh, that that's necessary, and I think this operates not because we're delusional, but because there's times where it's really necessary for it to operate. But then there's times where it where we're wrong, right? And we have this perspective that if if I let you near me with that idea, you're you're going to cause harm to me or to a you know people and and that does like escalate it is very clearly what you're saying is needed. We need to have a better way of tracking uh, what are situations that I need to lean into and what are areas where I need to be insulated? Um, and I think what, what we're hearing uh, externally, messages from, from politicians uh, are, are prime culprits of this, but it definitely can come from the pulpit. Um, it can come from uh, media figures, musicians, wherever it comes from that says, no, the answer is to listen to me. I know what's, what's best here and th- they really are your enemy. Um, and I think that that's that's really dangerous. We need to have a better way. The appeal to authority is not the right way to go uh, to uh, to sort this out. I don't think, because that's just too easily abused.
1: Yeah. Some things that came came to my mind just as I'm trying to really quantify yeah. what does it mean, how do we discern between the two? And and th- these aren't like concrete answers. I'm just trying to unpack this very complex issue a little bit. And I'm still trying words. to understand the problem. So yeah. I'm right there with you. Thank you. Help me. <laughs> so the problem, it, how Help do me. we how do we navigate a world where there are different ideas, different forces at play that we need to, to be able to discern whether they are a true right. threat to our life and livelihood or whether we have some sort of close. System in our life, and we're not responding to um, diversity of ideas right. and culture in a healthy, positive way. Yeah. Um, yep. And three words that came to mind. I'd like for us to maybe riff around these a little bit, Rob. Ooh, riff. I sound all riffy there. Yeah. Uh, a little jazz. Three words: morality, power, and control. And. So the first thing I thought about was I think at the base level of deciding whether something's a threat, and your example kind of brought that morality word up to me. And morality is a, r- a real tricky one because obviously we can have different definitions of what is morally right and what what isn't. And in a in a world of tolerance um, and uh, communication, that r- your truth is your own and what you make of it, it, it really can uh, create a space and a culture in which morality is kind of abstract, you know, or or uh dependent upon what you think about it but but I think at the at the bottom layer of this thing there, there has to be a discussion about what is just morally right and good and what is is not morally right and good and at some level I think that should play um play into our decision about what we let let into our lives and, or what we let influence us um, and again, this is a, a big part of my faith journey and just what, what what I think a lot about as a pastor for a person who's trying to navigate how to live a life that I believe Jesus invites us to. There's a lot of this decision making where we have to uh, ask God who who abundantly gives, I believe it says in Ephesians, who abundantly gives us wisdom when we ask for it to be able to discern what what is morally right in my life and what isn't. And how do I walk into a life of wholeness and flourishing by living out these ways of moral goodness, as opposed to living uh, with and in ways of, of the opposite of that, which brings about, I believe, destruction and pain and brokenness in our life. So let's talk about morality for a second. You know, How do we let that inform what we let in and what's good and what's bad? Who's a villain? Who's not a villain in terms of how we navigate well, this?
0: Well I think that's why we love we love good films is because they're trying to elucidate what this might be, like foundational values or morals. And um, I think my initial reaction was, well, that would have to be. The, anywhere you land would have to still be open to um, wrestling or critique because the thing I mentioned before, like um, power comes into play with morality because uh, certainly um, po- uh, demagogues, dictators make use of moral arguments to further their projects of destruction and death and uh, abusing power. So, um, but I think, I, I think there's probably, you know, from film or from uh, text – or religious texts. I mean, I think we can land on. You're right. I mean, like one example that came to my mind was uh, uh, not living by deception, right? Telling myself and other people the truth. Um, when when you examine that and the fruit it bears, that that tends to be a really solid moral foundation. And if if somebody's asking me or, or saying to be a part of this group, you need to tell lies um, to yourself and to other people. Um, I can only think of very few situations where I'm okay with that. You know, if I'm lying to, uh, you know, to slave traders that I have, you know, um, you know, a runaway slave in my, in my basement. I, we lived in Ohio. We were on, along the, um, um, the, uh, the railroad, the underground railroad for, for slavery leaving the South. And there were places you could visit, right? I could see that as a time where lying makes sense, Right. But generally the moral of not lying, um, of telling the truth is probably one we can land on. Um, but yeah, I agree with you. If, if we can together as a, and I think this is a real challenge is uh, how, how do we do that together? How do we land on moral foundations? And, um, you know how do we decide that like the church is a really good example of that we have scripture um, and and that's like accumulated wisdom about morality but right now what what about questions that were never asked in history right like a good one would be and I, we can't we don't have time to go into this but a good one would be sexuality right for all of human history um, in order to have childbirth you um, you needed to be married or needed to be, well, having, you know, you needed to be with a person of the opposite sex. And, and now because of science, we have childbirth capability for a variety of ways. And, and what is, you know, what? How, how do we wrestle with that? And the church is wrestling with that right now in a lot of places. What do we do with morality in light of some of this new information? Is it a place where we hold? Is it a place where we consider new information? And uh, I think that's a great example of just this issue you're talking about. It's It's not clear cut.
1: Yeah, and and the the issue of truth is a tough one, you know, especially when we talk about it in the context of just faith or or other faiths or folks who don't hold to a faith, you know, and uh a baseline morality I think no matter how how you shake it eventually finds its way to some sort of uh authority in your life. Uh, whether that's a divine authority, a god, uh, or person or divinity in your life or, or some other authority in your life that's determining Parent. what truth is for you. I, yeah. I do think we don't give enough credit to, though, as humans, and I believe this about who, who we are as created people, who I believe were created by uh, one God uh, Je- in Jesus who was enfleshed in the world, and we experience his spirit at work in us. But I believe that we have an intuitive ability as humans. You were kind of talking about truth, uh, and what I'm I'm not talking about absolute truth. I'm talking about our ability to discern what is truthful, you know, or what is the truth about myself. And I think we have um, a, a kind of intuitive ability to know and discern truth, whether it's about ourselves or about something else, whether it's a feeling or a, an ability to kind of discern that. Now, whether we're truthful about what we what we feel and experience mm-hmm. is an altogether a different reality. But I, but I right. think when we encounter situations uh, of where we have to decide whether this is a truthful thing or an untruthful thing, um, and I think for I, I I think morality too. I'll be honest. I think there's something deep inside of all humans that gives us an ability to discern whether we're honest about it or not, whether this is moral or whether this is amoral. Right? Mm-hmm. I I think that's in us, whether we admit it or not. We we all have a baseline mm-hmm. feeling or understanding of the, the moral codes of what it means to be a flourishing human. And we, we could talk yeah. a lot about why that's sure. there and where it comes when, from and how
0: it can get twisted up and, yeah. and, and, and distorted and all, and all
1: those kind of things. Sure. Yeah. So the, the other two words were power and control, um, to discern when to let someone in or when I'm keeping people out. Um, and I, I, I use those two words in, in terms of trying to, um, discern my motives for that decision, right? Whether if I'm trying to decide, Robbie, whether you're a threat, whether your ideas are a threat to me, or whether your influence is a threat to me, and I need to keep you out, I think I first need to ask myself um, what what my motives are for that. Are you threatening my power or my ability to control what is um, right and safe and secure in my world? Um, or are you propagating your own agenda of power and control? I think if we can trace back motives, um, for, for why we're making decisions, if it's trying to protect me and my interests and what I think and feel, um, and again, that kind of swims in the world of, uh, whether I'm safe or not, but, but I'm really talking about just selfish kind of motives within us. I think a lot of times we villainize others because we if we let their idea in or their influence or their, whatever they represent into our lives, we, we might feel like either we're going to lose some kind of control in our lives or, or our, you know, world, or we're going to lose some sort of uh, power or influence of ourselves over the people around us. Does that make sense? I'm trying to really quantify a Yeah, really no, complex the, the issue, example.
0: But. Yeah. The example I was thinking of is kind of some of these classic stories of, know like a you know a tv evangelist who's very famous and and rails against homosexuality and then it's later discovered that secretly he's been you know seeing male escorts or something right and it's like it's this you know you you see this obvious display of efforts at power and control and and it becomes clear later that that was just an issue of, of the person projecting their own personal issues that they're trying to figure out how to wrestle with internally as far as power control over themselves. So I, yeah, I, I think th- those would sometimes be cues to us of now. Wait a minute, um, you know, the, maybe that maybe this process is one that I need to take a step back and look at. Um, uh, I, I think I think that's something to look for. The the other thing I was thinking was um, uh, d- just doing uh, thorough observation of of people, and and I think one of the ways that that pandemic has influenced us and social media has influenced us is it's kept us from off like affording people the opportunity to show us the full complexity of who they are. The story I mentioned before, right? If I use your membership in a church to determine everything I need to know about you as a person, that's a major problem. Um, because, uh, it's, it's a bit like, um, it's called the, the Rawlsian Veil of Ignorance. It's, it's like a philosophical rule, and it might come from economics or something, but it's like, before I decide I want to have a rule operate for you, which is, I want, say the rule is, if you're in this group, you're a bad person. Um, before I allow that rule to be applied to you, I should first ask myself, do I want that rule applied to me? Because I know for myself, I sit with me. I'm a complex human. I have a variety of ideas, um, and if somebody says you are this because you hold this position, um, uh, that that's it's just false. Because there's so much more to me than that. And I think one of the, one of the targets is when it comes to human relationships, we just need to take a risk to get to know each other better. Now, that doesn't mean you open yourself up to actual injury. You know, maybe you don't invite the person by sharing deep parts of yourself with them. I encourage people, you know, observe how people behave first, get a sense of what they do with less risky information before you open yourself up further. Um, But, you, we we do need to get to know other people. Um, like for me and my story with my friends, you know, I, I get to discover what what their relationship with God looks like, and I, man, I get to learn from them about you know how, how they how they show dedication to family or or how they pursue discipline in their own life, and I I grow from that. But I wouldn't have known that had I just stuck to this character caricature of them. And so I think that's one of my suggestions is. Take time to really get to know people. And if your mind's telling you, you know, if you're in this box of, you know, they're bad, a good question to ask ourselves is, well, would I want that same standard applied to me? And if the answer is no, then I need to step out of it and say, what might I not know about them? And that
1: might be a great kind of ending point here and a first mm-hmm. step for all of us is that whenever we villainize people, whenever we put labels on folks, um, we they cease to be human. You know they be they become an i a threatening idea, or, or a threatening stance, or whatever. They, the embodiment, just, yeah, yeah, the embodiment of whatever we we view as wrong about whatever their position is. You know, and whenever we dehumanize, we we are w- walking towards destruction. You know, and I think the the um, the remedy for that kind of situation, and maybe to help us take a first step uh, into dealing with this whole. Um, villainy thing in our world and, and it's in all the places we experience it is to learn that empathy leads to humanity, you know, and when I get out of myself, when I, when I'm, when I can move from, how is this going to affect me? How's it going to hurt me, harm me, all those things, you know, those inward thoughts and instead see, you know, think about what, what does it look like to think like that person, to feel like that person? What's their situation going? Whenever, when I turn this, the trajectory of my thinking towards other people, I, I create they become human again. And I, I see their story. I begin to see their motives differently as as just the lie that they're trying to harm me and instead try to understand where are they coming from? And where are these ideas that they have coming from? What do they got going on in their mm-hmm. life? Because empathy yeah. leads to humanity. And there's nothing dangerous about empathy. Because like you said, Robbie, we can We can process, you know, we can sit back and observe and empathize and allow ourselves to really see the humanity of the people behind the ideas that we villainized and maybe in the observation, learn something. You know, maybe and maybe learn that the thing that that they're standing for, the position that they have isn't one that we would hold. But I think also in the midst of that obs- observation, we, we see them as humans and they're worth knowing, uh-huh. even in spite right. of some of the
0: beliefs that they right. might have. And that's everything. And I think. Yeah. And certainly if you want them to be impacted by your perspective, you need to afford the same thing to them. Um, that, man, we like that. We need to talk again about this empathy and relationships, because I think there's so much here that then gets um, it gets uh, built out at scale. And I think if we can do it well right in our immediate spaces, maybe it can extrapolate at scale so that the temperature and the volume can get turned down and we can actually get about solving really complicated problems like getting along with each other and a, a variety of other things. So empathy, yes. yeah, Maybe yes. one more practical help too, because I oftentimes, when I talk about empathy in church,
1: because uh, we wonder, well, how do you do empathy? Like what, where does that start? I think oh, a, I real, <laughs> a real practical... <laughs> step and Robbie, you can maybe give your uh, psychologist viewpoint on this but i always tell people if you want to empathize with somebody start with the first step of just listening that empathy mm-hmm. begins with hearing and if your ears aren't open you'll never be able to empathize with anybody so just begin by mm-hmm. listening
0: yeah hearing to understand not to mm-hmm. formulate your response back i i usually yeah. say you know imagine they're trying to they're trying to show you something and put it into your hands and, and you, you want to see it like they're trying to communicate it to you just to understand. And you can still retain your position. I tell this to couples all the time. Super important. You can, yeah. you can disagree and show empathy at the same time. You can do both. And, and it's okay to show empathy because it doesn't mean you agree with the position, but it does mean you care about the person displaying it and, you would want them to care about you. So we're gonna have to pause here, man. Uh, what a beautiful convo, just been, uh, Like, imagine, we, we need to talk
1: more empathy. Imagine what yeah. the world would look like if we began to be humans rather than
0: villains. Oh, <laughs> yeah, one one of my favorite quotes from Winnicott is, "We are all, or maybe this is uh, Harry Stack Sullivan, we are all more simply human than otherwise." Mm. Yes, we are all we're all human. So. Good stuff. Dude, it's been a pleasure. We're going to talk about empathy more. I'm, I'm, I want to get into it next time, empathy and relationships. So, join us again as we continue to try to wrestle with this stuff um, that's very relevant and and appreciate having you here. Until next time, we continue together, staring into the sun.
1: Grace and peace.
0: The way we find ourselves. The is the story 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 into, into the, the sun. Sun.